Uh, we just finished a series called The Way of Jesus, where we were looking at uh, several chapters in the book of Matthew, mainly the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today, uh, we're starting a new series for the summer called The Summer in Psalms. We're going to be spending uh, a lot of our weeks in the summer uh, looking at various psalms, and I, I am thrilled to be doing this. I love the book of Psalms. It, uh, to me, personally, it's one of the most important books of the Bible. For me, it's obviously many, many chapters, um, and, and it's, to me, it's, they're invaluable, and I'll explain why more in a minute. Uh, in the fall, uh, early fall, we're going to begin studying together as a church the, Paul's letter to uh, Ephesus, the, the book of Ephesians. Looking very much forward to that as well. So today we turn to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. King David says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you shall not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Man, just reading that makes me realize we could do a whole summer series just on Psalm 16. There's so much in there. It's so beautiful. Uh, the word rhythm is defined as a strong, regular, repeated pattern or movement of sound. We think of it mainly with regards to music, right? Uh, rhythm. Like what, some of you have rhythm. Some of you don't. Because when we clap, it gets pretty ugly in here. <laughs> And we don't clap much, and I wish we did, but we don't. And so things in our lives that are strong, that are loud, regular and repeated, they serve as the rhythms of our life. And those rhythms often shape us and form us in ways that we're often not even aware of. Think of the ways the smartphone, something I could not have imagined when I was young, think of the ways that is shaping and forming us in good ways and bad. On average, uh, Americans are spending two hours and 54 minutes on their phones every day. Did you know your phone will give you a report if you'll set it up? And it's, it's terrifying to do so, but it gives you an average report of your daily usage. I, I encourage you to do it. You're going to be shocked if you've not done this. The average American will spend nearly a month and a half on their phones in 2022, and that includes you. Don't be looking around at everybody else. That's you. My, I want to blame younger people for this. It's not. My oldest son says, you and mom are way worse than I am with the phone. And I think he's right. It's not just younger generations. It's all of us. We're stuck. And it's not, all, it's not every single one of us, but it's every generation. And we're being formed for this. Uh, 
What are the rhythms of your life? The things that are repeated, loud, clear, the things that you're doing over and over and over and over. In what ways are these things forming you? Work, of course. It's a part of your rhythm. Meals, entertainment, exercising, not exercising. (laughs) If I could wish anything, though, for the body of Christ and for you and me as part of this church, it would be that a primary rhythm, the primary rhythm of our lives would be to spend time each day in God's word and drawing profoundly from the gospel and specifically the Psalms themselves. That that we would be brought into the very presence of God. This is largely out of our control, but, but we would go to God's word where God has promised us in his word that he will meet us and he will speak to us because the Bible is God's word to us. It's his revealed will. And it's, it's true. It's the true story of God. It is his will for us. And as we go to the word, he meets us there and the spirit will illumine things directly to our path in our life that he wants us to see, to meditate on, to grow in. It would be my greatest desire that the people of God would be shaped and formed by the word of God in the very presence of God, experiencing the Lord through his word and through prayer. That we would not only seek knowledge about God, but that we would seek the Lord himself. To not just know about him, but to know him personally. That we would not only delight in the things that God does for us, but that we would delight in the Lord, which is the ultimate goal. Now, the Psalms were literally the songbook of the Hebrew people, the ancient people. They were songs to be sung uh, in the synagogue. And the Psalms were uh, the regular rhythm and in the lifeblood of Jesus, in his life. He quotes the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. In fact, even one of his dying last statements in death, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. Tim Keller writes in his devotion on the Psalms, uh, the Psalms should be used and reused in every Christian's daily private approach to God and in public worship. We are not simply to read the Psalms, we're to be immersed in them so that they are profoundly shaping how we relate to God. Why? The early church father Athanasius said that whatever particular need or trouble uh, from the same book, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy every ill. And that's, that's what I've seen in the book of Psalms is it, it's so expansive. Some of them are psalms of lament. Some of them are cries for justice. Some of them are angry. And the emotional spectrum in the psalm is so broad that I think it's beautiful because I find myself as I'm reading the psalms that the Lord meets me there and says, even David struggled with the kind of things you're struggling with, Scott. You don't have to hide your emotions from me. You don't have to pretend you're not angry when you are angry, even if you're angry at God. David often was and the other psalmist. And yet every psalm will bring me back to the goodness of God, even the ones where the psalmist is angry and bitter against God. They're constantly bringing us back to the reality that God is the God to be trusted in and hoped in. Today we're looking, of course, at Psalm 16 uh, with verse 11 as our main focus. 
And in this Psalm of David, we find him in a good place emotionally and spiritually. And that's not always the case, truly. Uh, there are other Psalms where he says, my tears have been my food day and night, where, where he is just mourning. But in this moment, he is, he's in a good place. He says in verse one, uh, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. In spite of his power of the, as king and his power was immense as king, He's humble and he's, he's saying, I must find my strength in you. I have to take refuge and solace in you. In verse 3, he says that his life is bound up in the life of other people, the saints. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. He's humble. He, he's others focused. In verse 6, he's grateful to God for his station in life, and he's content. He's showing contentment in life. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And then in verse 11, he says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures. And as I read this, it struck me as so beautiful and, and simple, and it's going to serve as the basis of our main idea today from Psalm 16. And it's this. There is a path that leads to unending joy and pleasure, which is the presence of God himself. There really is a path that leads to unending joy and pleasure, and it's the very presence of of God himself, but we are so tempted to believe that our greatest pleasure and our greatest joys and our greatest satisfaction will be found in something other than God, often in twisted things. And, and no matter who you are, we're all looking for pleasure. We're all looking for joy, for satisfaction, for our good. And we go looking for it in so many other paths and often idolatrous paths. Places like, even like pornography, uh, thinking there's goodness there, people often think and feel like there's pleasure there, there's goodness, there's, I'll be satisfied, and it's always a lie. And yet God is saying, there are pleasures at my right hand. There is a path, there is a path that leads to unending joy, and God himself is that unending joy. Who wouldn't want that? A path of life that leads to ultimate pleasure. This is the very offer of the gospel. Augustine says that every man, whatsoever his condition, wants to be happy. There is no man who does not desire this or woman, and each one desires it with such earnestness that he prefers it to all of the things. Whoever, in fact, desires other things desires them for this end alone. This is what guides and governs the will, namely that we, what we consider to be delight. In our selfishness, of course, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, we often run after things that are dead ends. They're not pleasure. And we take good things, created things, God-given things, and we elevate them to ultimate things, to God-level status, they become idolatry and they crush us because they can't give us what we long for, which is fulfillment and pleasure and joy. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, 
if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. In the presence of God, a relationship with God, knowing God in small ways now, but in amazing, unfathomable ways in eternity, is pure joy, pure delight. What is infinite joy? It is God himself. He says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And the biblical story is not that the material world is bad and the only good things in life are spiritual. That's not what he's saying. Instead, it says this. If you are putting your hope, your trust, your value in anything in life to give you ultimate pleasure, there's no good in that ultimately. Even the best things in life, like marriage and children and relationship and the things that we love, they can't help but let us down. Everything here is finite. Everything here is decaying. He's saying that compared to God, all other things fail. They can't live up to our expectations. Friends, can we be honest with ourselves for just a minute that we, generally speaking... We often want the gifts of God more than we want God himself, right? Maybe you're in a place where you truly want the living God more than anything, but so often we want the gifts of God more than we want God. And when we do, those gifts leave us unsatisfied and just wanting the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But the presence of God himself is our greatest pleasure and we'll never find rest and we'll never find joy and ultimate happiness apart from his presence. We have a dog named Lucy right now, but before we had Lucy, we had Molly. And Molly was a soft coat Wheaton Terrier. And Molly's greatest joy and delight in life was not me, her dear owner, who did everything for her. It was those pretty gross, nasty bulk treats that I got from Costco. The Kirkland brand, just massive, huge box of treats. And what would happen is if I came in from work, uh, she would immediately just lock eyes on me. And it wasn't like a, a Labrador or a golden retriever that when you come home, it's just pure joy to be in your presence. I'm just so glad you're home. Instead, it was, I'm going to do a mind meld with you right now. And I'm going to hypnotize you by staring at you to go over to this box and give me one of these treats. <laughs> now, I was the only member of the family that she did this to. And I don't know exactly why. I think it's because clearly I'm the alpha male, right? No, it's because I was the only one stupid enough to give in to her hypnotic demands over and over and over. If I was cooking, she would do the mind melt. If I were just walking, if I would go like water uh, the plant out front for five minutes and come back in, it was the same thing. Every time I entered her presence, it was the stare. Give me the gift, not your presence. I want what you give me, not your presence. In the sad reality, this is how we often treat the Lord. We want the gifts of his hand more than the glory of his face. And this is literally what the Hebrew for uh, presence means, uh, the glory of his face. Isn't that beautiful? Presence means the glory 
of his face. We often read the Psalms and do the rhythms of the Bible reading out of duty, all in the hopes of earning salvation or getting God on our side oftentimes, or maybe just out of like, I'm a Christian, I just need to do this. And and honestly, that's not all bad. Like, if you're feeling dry spiritually and all you've got is I just, I should pick up my Bible and read, that's not all bad. But on the other hand, what's even better and best is when we move beyond duty and not this sense of like, if I do enough Bible study, I can get God on my side and he'll give me what I ultimately want, which is not him, it's something beyond him, right? We can't approach our relationship with the Lord as a means to an end. He is the end. What is our chief end? Why were we created? What is the meaning of humanity? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To not just enjoy his gifts, which are plentiful, but him primarily. One of the beautiful things about, you know, raising children and seeing them grow up and mature is you begin to notice and see that they do delight in you more than the the gifts that you give them. And they do uh, uh, find joy and satisfaction in our relationship and, and, and their relationship to one another even. They're becoming best friends. That was not always the case. And seeing that, that the presence of the face is more important than the gift. And so our call in the Psalms is not trying to get something from God, not even salvation. That, that comes by grace through faith alone. We want God himself to bring his presence routinely into our life, which is the fullness of joy. He says in verses 8 through 9, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. There are things that will shake us. Every one of us is one call away from having a life-altering, a life-altering situation. I was at a hospice yesterday praying with a lady in our church who is, who is probably nearing the end of her life. And, and she's, not, she's not an older lady. And yet she's not shaken. Dear friends, I can, I can tell you, uh, it, she's, she has fear, of course, who would not she has concerns. She's, she cares about her family and her children. But she's not ultimately shaken. And she has joy. Such joy as we read Psalm 23 together and, and prayed. Such joy in, in eager, eager anticipation. Her, her prayer, please pray for Roxy. Her prayer is for a, a peaceful passing as, she, as, as she's so near the end. And I keep assuring her, your moments, hours, days, months perhaps, but not long to when you're going to go to sleep and you're going to wake up in the arms of Christ. That's her joy. That is her joy. She will not be shaken. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. We're always setting something before us. He says, I always set the Lord before me in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. And the reality is whatever we're continually or always setting before us, meaning the thing that we're bringing our attention to, the thing that we're bringing our heart and our emotion to, that thing at night when you can't sleep, you're going back to and just thinking about or daydreaming about, these things shape us and form us. 
And what David is saying is, for, for, for ultimately for the believer, what we're called to do is bring the Lord always before us as a rhythm and repetition to have his very presence be the thing that is shaping and forming us the most. Dear friends, this is our call. This is our call. I, I plead with you to, as during this time in the Psalms, that you would pick up the Psalms. Perhaps it's the Psalm that we're studying today. This week, for example. So in the devotional that I use, it gives me a passage for every day throughout the church calendar. And then it has a Psalm for the week and then multiple readings as well from various Christian books. And so I'll have the same Psalm for the whole week and then different passages for every day. And I find myself so glad that I'm not moving on from the Psalm, that every week as I meditate on the same song throughout the week, that it, that's the thing that I'm drawn to the most. And I try not to hurry uh, and to slow down when I'm at my best. There are days where it's very quick and there are other days where it's more lingering. But when, when it's best is when I've got a cup of coffee, I've turned off my phone, I've found a quiet place in the home or at the office and can just sit and be silent with the psalm or the other passage and, and then let, let my heart speak. What is the Lord drawing me to in this psalm? What is the repeated phrase? What is the thought? What is the idea that my heart is especially clinging to? And I might journal about it. And I'm not a, I'm not a good artist, so I, I may draw even a little something just to get my imagination going. Then I'll stop and I'll pray, and I may even write out a prayer. When I'm at my best, this is, this is my practice. And it's formative. It's beautiful. It brings me to the presence of God. I encourage you, as we study the Psalms together, to do that. Now, some of you aren't convinced you can have a relationship with God at all. And that might be driven by doubt. It might be driven by skepticism. Maybe it's, it's driven by, I've tried and it hasn't worked. I don't feel uh, close to God. Others of you, though, don't go to God in this way because of shame. You sense that I, God doesn't want me in his presence. You, you are fearful of his presence. You don't want to go there. But listen to what Hebrews 4 says. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Next, because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, and the main point, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is some aspect of God's glory and presence that we should be terrified of. In fact, uh, Moses got a glimpse of that in the book of Exodus when uh, he asked to see God's face and God said that you can't do that, you'll melt uh, but I will hide you in a cleft of a rock. I will cover you. I will shelter you and I will pass by. But you know what the good news is of the gospel? In Christ, there is coming a day where we will draw in the very presence of God. And he's calling us now even to come to the throne of grace because Jesus is the ultimate covering and we will see God face to face. And we will not be killed by that presence. We will be welcomed and warmed by his very presence, because of the throne is a throne of grace. Amen? And he's calling you, dear friend, to come. Leave behind your shame. 
Leave behind the fact that you're still a sinner. Of course you are, and so am I. But flee to him who is your righteousness and your hope and your joy. And there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Let's pray. Oh, Father, there are so many things that keep us from coming to you, the distractions of life, our own sin, our anger, our fear, sometimes shame, sometimes laziness and rebellion, unbelief, so many, so many reasons. And yet, in Christ, as your children, you're calling us to come to be near you, to be formed by your presence, to enjoy you, to live our very meaning as humanity, to know you, to enjoy you, to glorify you. And I pray, I pray for us that know you, that you would draw us close in such a way. And for the person that does not yet know you that's in this room, Lord, would you show your goodness and kindness to them in a profound way? Even now, even today in this moment, would you show them how good you are and how much need you. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.